I want to welcome you again to the International Evangelical Church. My name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and um, truly it's always a real honor and a real joy and a real privilege to worship with the body of Christ here at IEC. Uh, this week, as uh, our elder chair, Wad Moosen, mentioned earlier, we are finishing our series on making disciples, and we're finishing it with a passage that I started two weeks ago, but we'll continue on in this week. And it's a passage that if you've been in church any length of time, you are incredibly familiar with, yet there is a danger in familiarity. Sometimes when we've heard something often and heard it a lot, it can lose the impact that it was intended to have. And I don't want us to lose the impact of this passage we're studying today. I would say in my life, this passage has impacted the direction of my life as much, if not more, than any passage in Scripture. This is a passage I've actually taught more than any other passage in the, all of the Bible. I was adding up how many times I've taught through this, and I came with, I've taught this at least 75 times in places all over the world, getting to open up God's Word. And every time I open up to the passage that we call the Great Commission, and I begin to study it anew, I begin to look at it again, God always speaks to my heart and pulls me back to what He has called me to be about, what He's called the church to be about, who He's called us to be. So I pray as we look at this passage that we don't look at it as a familiar passage that we've heard too many times. I pray that we look at it with fresh ears, allowing God to remind us of who He has called us to be as a church. Here's what I long for us as a church, IEC. I don't want for the conviction that I have as a pastor to be forced upon you. I want the conviction of the Word of God to be so heavy upon your heart that you go and you joyously live it out. That's my desire. So I pray as we go through this that God would do His work, that He would be the one who convict you. He would be the one who would lead you. He would be the guy, one who guides you. He'd be the one who moves you to action as we look at this passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So I invite you to turn there with me, and if you would, please stand as we read God's good and perfect word. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God and all God's people said, 
Praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, your word, God, stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, nothing of significance will be spoken. So we pray that you speak, Lord Jesus. Amen. What I'm going to preach on today is nothing original to me. In fact, nearly every word I say, everything I talk about has been taught to me by someone else. It was around 18 years ago that I woke up early one Tuesday morning, 5 a.m. to drive across town in Memphis, Tennessee to go sit at the table of a man named Roy Soup Campbell. Soup Campbell would disciple me for more than three and a half years, intentionally investing in my life, challenging me, encouraging me. And what I'm going to teach you is what he taught me. And Soup would always be adamant. He would say, take notes on this. Because if you don't take notes, then you have no intent of ever passing it on to anybody else because we quickly forget. So I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity to take notes, not because of anything I'm going to say, but because of what the Lord might say in and through His Word. And since the first time I heard the Great Commission taught by Soup, my life has been transformed. This has changed the mission and the vision and the way I do ministry. I was already doing ministry when I started meeting with Soup, but this changed the way I, I began to do ministry. And in fact, I don't believe I would be here with you today if it wasn't for sitting around a table with six other men early one Tuesday morning hearing a man named Soup Campbell faithfully teach this word. Well, we're in a series, as I mentioned, on disciple-making. Just a quick review of what we've seen so far. First week, we saw that discipleship starts in the home. Don't ever miss that. The primary place, the first place of discipleship is home, moms, and dads investing in their children. I, I can't emphasize that enough. In fact, Paul, as he was teaching Timothy what it looks like to be a faithful pastor, he said this in 1 Timothy 5.8. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we primarily think he's speaking of providing for food, shelter, and clothing for your children. Amen. He's saying that, but he's saying more than that. No, parents, we are to provide for the spiritual nourishment of our children. We take responsibility for helping them grow in their faith. In church, this is something parents do, but it's also something grandparents get involved with as well. You play a role. The person who took me to church as a child was not my parents. It was my granddad. You've heard me say that before, and I'm grateful. He's the one who introduced me to the people of God. And those of you who maybe don't have children yet, maybe you long for children. I was meeting with our youth leadership team, and I can tell you we've got a great youth ministry here. I'm so thankful for the leaders that lead our youth. I have three kids that are youth age. I have four kids total, but three of them are youth age. And I need help. 
I need people to come alongside me and teach the same things I'm teaching, encourage my kids in faith, build them up. So maybe some of you, you're not in the season of life where you have kids at home. Maybe they've left home or maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're praying one day God will allow you to be there. We need your help, church. You can come work with our children, work with our youth. But discipleship, God intended it to start in the home. That's one reason we have children stay in worship service till halfway through. We want them to learn to worship with the saints of God. We want them to see mom and dad singing praise. Then the next week we started looking at the calls of Jesus to his disciples. And here's what I love about Jesus' calls to his disciples. They're simple. They're not complex. His first calls to his disciples in John chapter 1 verse 35 through 50 is this. Come and see. That's pretty simple. Simply come and see. And what were they going to see? They were going to see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who came to reconcile a sinful world, sinful people, back to God Almighty through His precious blood. And we see that those disciples believed. They trusted that he was the Messiah. And the first step, never miss this, the first step of discipleship is conversion. It's what Scripture calls being born again, being a new creation. So at IEC, when we use the word discipleship, don't misunderstand this. We're not talking about a Bible study. We're not talking about something that only happens after conversion. It does happen after conversion. It continues on throughout life. But we believe it starts, discipleship starts with conversion. So I would say evangelism is a piece of discipleship. It's a part of it. It's the starting place. Then a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus have another call to his disciples, equally as simple. Follow me. Follow me. And he told him he's going to make them into something. Jesus was going to make them into something. He only said he wanted to make his people into one thing fisher of men. He didn't say, I want to make you smarter. He didn't say, I want to make you wiser. He didn't say, I want to make you wealthier. He didn't say, I want to make your life easy. I want to make you more comfortable. He said, I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. And here's the strategy of how I'm going to do it. You follow me. You spend time with me. You hang out with me. You let God shape you through those things by being with Jesus Christ. And for the Christian, once we become a Christian, Once we are born again, we are to start a lifelong journey of following Jesus. We follow Jesus all the way till he brings us home. And the way he usually does that is he puts someone in your life to help you, to walk alongside you, who's a little further along the road than you to encourage you. And today in the Great Commission, we see another call that Jesus has to his disciples that we're going to examine. And I want to examine this passage very carefully. There's uh, what we call the six editorial friends. It's six questions you could ask of any situation. You could ask of any passage of Scripture to investigate it. They're very simple. Who, what, when, where, how, and why. And I want to ask these six questions of this passage known as the Great Commission because if this is what God is calling us to, we better get it right, church. We better be clear on what he's calling us to be about, what he's calling us to do. Jesus starts to speak to his disciples. There's only 11 of them there. Judas 
had betrayed Jesus. And I believe in some ways that's a reminder to us to let us know that even Jesus had a disciple who didn't remain faithful. So as you disciple people, as you get engaged in what God has called you to do, you're going to find there will be people who will turn away, who will let you down, who will disappoint. But Jesus gathers with these 11, and what he tells them, he set this appointment, this is one of 11 post-resurrection appointments, but the only one, the only one that he set it before he died In Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, Jesus says, Hey, after I raise from the dead, you go to Galilee and meet me there. He didn't tell them, hey, go to Galilee, to the mountain. You know the mountain I'm talking about? He didn't have to say that. You know why? The disciples knew. Have you ever been so close to someone that you could say, Hey, I'll meet you. Just meet at the place we always go to. You don't have to say the name. Why? Because you always meet there. You know where it is. The disciples knew exactly where Jesus was talking about and they gathered here to, at, at the mount where he had told them to go to hear his final words in the book of Matthew. I'll tell you, final words are very, very powerful. Oftentimes when I'm leaving the house, my wife will give me some final words for, for the day before I leave. Things like, don't forget to stop by the store or don't forget to go get the children, whatever it may be, those are the words that she wants to make sure I don't forget. But if you've ever heard final words of a loved one, a loved one who's about to die, we don't forget those words. I remember when my grandfather passed away, I remember going and seeing him and he was sitting in his chair and he was very old and I knew that leukemia had taken over his body and this would probably be the last time I saw him. And I'll never forget, he said very simple words, but I knew what he meant. He looked at me and he said, I'm proud of you. And keep doing what you're doing. He didn't need to say more. Those words breathe life into me. He was telling me, hey, I know that you're, you're engaged in ministry. Keep at it. Keep going. We don't forget last words of a loved one. And this is Jesus' last words to his disciples. They're not going to forget them. So the first thing we want to ask of these last words of Jesus is who? Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, in the immediate context, we know there's 11 disciples there. Some argue there may be more. There may be the 500 there. We're not sure. It talks about that in uh, 1 Corinthians. But we know immediately there's the 11. So is the Great Commission just given to the 11 disciples? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not a Greek scholar. I've studied Greek, but I've forgotten most of what I've studied. (laughs) I lean into those who are far smarter, far wiser than me. And in the Greek, this go, therefore, it's a go you, go all of you. It's not just a go you 11, it's go you 11 plus everyone that you'll tell, and they'll tell, and they'll tell. The Great Commission is given to every follower of Jesus Christ. Now get this, the church had not been formed yet. The church be formed in Acts chapter 2. So to say that this is given to the church as a corporate, well, it's given to each individual person who would make up the church. And when you hear me use the word church, don't think I'm speaking of an institution. 
Don't think I'm speaking of a building. I'm speaking of you, the people. We are the church. And Jesus gave this to the individuals that would make up the church. He gives it to individual followers of his. So when we look at who the Great Commission is given to, we look and we say, it's given to every single follower of Jesus Christ. Why didn't the pastor, when he baptized you, just leave you underwater and send you on to glory? Because once you're saved, once you're a Christian, the best place to be is in glory with God the Father. No, he left you here for a purpose. God has a mission for you. He has a purpose for your life, and it's found right here in the Great Commission. This is why you're left here. Don't misunderstand this. So when we say, who is it given to? We say, every single follower of Jesus Christ. But I want you to say something more important than that. It's given to every single follower of Jesus Christ and to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you're a new creation, if you're saved, if you're born again, however you want to phrase it, if that's you, if you're a Christian, this is given to you, and you've got to say it's given to me. I've heard it said that what is everyone's responsibility becomes no one's responsibility. What I mean is if I tell the church, hey, we need to do this, you look and you think, well, the person beside me will do it. Maybe they'll do it. I don't need to do it. The church is doing it. No, this is given to you as an individual Christian. So when you hear this, you've got to go, this is given to me. Jesus spoke this to me. I don't need to look to the person to my right or to my left. This is to me. And here's what I want you to know, church. I believe with everything in me that there's no more satisfying, fulfilling, joy-filled way to live than by being obedient to the Great Commission. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm not going to tell you it's comfortable. I'm not going to tell you it doesn't involve sacrifice. It does. But I believe there's no more thrilling, joyful, amazing way to live than by being obedient to Great Commission. And get this, these disciples, they were not seminary educated. They weren't the best and the brightest of their day. They were ordinary men that Jesus used. You see, one of the great lies that Satan has fed the body of Christ is this. It's a pastor's movement. It's for the church. It's for the ministers. They'll do all the work of ministry. They're the ones who will do everything. No. We firmly believe in the priesthood of all believers that all of us are called to be involved in ministry. You can't look to me and Pastor Mike and our elders and our ministry staff and go, they'll do it all. No. God has called the entire body of Christ to be engaged, the entire body of Christ to be involved. And if you aren't, you're the one who's missing out. Get involved in the Great Commission. It's given to each of us. John Piper said, this he said until Christ comes again or until the great commission is fulfilled the commission still stands and is the responsibility of every follower of Christ each of us have to look and go who's the great commission given to me it's given to me this is what God has called me to do and it's not because I, I have been to seminary or I've got some kind of training no he uses every follower of his the man who discipled me, Soup Campbell, he never stepped foot in a seminary other than to come and speak at a chapel. He didn't go to seminary. 
He had been discipled by another man named Herb Hodges who taught him everything he knew and said, you go do the same. And you go do the same. See, God wants to use your life to grow more disciples, to build more disciples. So the second question is what? If we're talking about, hey, if this is given to me, if I'm going to take ownership, here's a question for me. What does the Great Commission tell me to do? Because we can think a lot of things and you may go, I'm going to go do the Great Commission, but you don't know what you're doing. Let's make sure we know what it's calling us to do. There are four action verbs in the Great Commission. Here they are. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Four action verbs. Of those action verbs, how many of them do you think are we're commanded to do? Now, I've asked that often. I'll get lots of different numbers. Sometimes I'll have people hold up their hands. They'll say one, two, three, four. But I'll give you the answer. In the Greek, only one of these is an imperative that carries the full thrust of the command. And that's make disciples. Usually when I say this to people, I'll say, hey, what do you think the one command of the Great Commission is? People say, well, it's go. No, it's not go. You're going places. God doesn't need to command you to go. You came here today. It's you're going to go places. No, he commands us to make disciples. That's what Jesus commands us to do. So if you're saying, what? The Great Commission's given to me. What am I to do? You're to make disciples. You're to be faithful to that. That's what we're called to. Well, how's the body of Christ doing on it? I'll tell you, the enemy, he would love to get the church distracted. He loves to get the people of God distracted on all sorts of other things other than the one primary mission at hand to make disciples. George Barna, in his book, Growing Two Disciples, gave some stats. Now, these stats are of the church in the West, where I come from, so they're not global, but I think they're telling. It says less than 5% of the Christians in the West will ever share their faith. Out of 100 people, only five will ever share their faith and tell somebody about the most glorious good news you could ever hear in this world that Jesus Christ died for sinners to reconcile us. Less than 2% of people know what the Great Commission is calling us to do. Think about that. 2% of the church understands the call to make disciples. We think it's all sorts of other things, but this is the primary call that Jesus gave us. And because only 2% of it, of the church knows that, far less than 2% will ever make a disciple. Don't you think the enemy loves that? I've got the church distracted on all sorts of other things rather than the primary mission at hand. Each week at IEC, we say our mission statement. Why? Because the greatest fear is that we roam from our mission statement. We're not afraid if we don't have perfect music or we, don't have, uh, or we make a mistake or things don't go well. What we're afraid of is that we roam from the mission of Jesus Christ that he's called us to. That's what the enemy wants us to do is roam from it. That's why each week we say our mission is to make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. We want you to know that, to hear that. So we say, what are we here for as a church? To make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. That that echoes in your heart and mind over and over and over and over again. We don't want to forget that. We don't want to roam from that. 
We want to hold tightly to that truth. The word disciple is used 270 times in the Gospels and in the New Testament. Yet there's a great misunderstanding about what a disciple is. Back in the spring, I asked you a question. I asked, I know some of you weren't here then, but I said, would you imagine with me a crown? C-R-O-W-N. Just get in your head a visual image of a crown. What do you think of? Most of you are thinking of a gold crown that sits on a king's head. My friend Dr. Yvonne, if you ask him, said, hey, I need a crown. Make me a crown. He's not going to make you something to put on your head. He's going to open up your mouth and make you a crown to go over a tooth. A crown for a dentist repairs a damaged tooth. So when we use language, it can be used by different way, in different ways by different people. So we need to have a common language as a church. Pastor Mike this week took our staff through a bit of an assessment on how are we doing in making disciples. And he began to talk about this. He said, there's a few things as a church that we've got to have. One... We've got to have a common language. If we don't have a common language, if, we're not, if when we say discipleship, it means 20 different things to 20 different people, we're not unified. We need to understand scripturally, biblically, what does it mean to make a disciple? What is a disciple? I can give you a few different definitions. All of these have truth in them. A disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, a servant, a witness. A disciple is a student. That's what the word means. A disciple is one who disciplines himself in the teachings and practices of another. A disciple obeys. I want to give you the definition that Soup gave me 18 years ago, sitting around a table, that had been passed on to him by a man named Herb Hodges, that had received it from others. It's not a perfect definition. There's no perfect definition. But I think this gets at what we're talking about when we talk about a disciple. A disciple is a world visionary, world impacting, follower, learner, and reproducer of Jesus Christ. Let me explain that again. Uh, it's a world visionary, world impactor, impacting, follower, learner, and reproducer of Jesus Christ. Now, now let me explain a little bit what I mean there. Jesus here, he has a vision for reaching the world. It's not just reaching your little community, your neighborhood, your house. His vision is the world. He said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's the vision. The totality of the world. I've heard it said, I want to get on my heart what God has on his heart. That's one of our goals in life. What does God have on your heart? I want that to be on my heart, God. So you get a vision for the world, for reaching the entire world. And then he says, world impacting. Now, don't misunderstand this. Some of you are thinking, well, to impact the world, I've got to go everywhere. I've got to go all over the world. That's not true at all. Do you realize during Jesus' ministry, he never traveled more than 150 kilometers from Jerusalem? He never traveled more than 150 kilometers from Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry was very regional. Yet he impacted the entirety of the world. No life has impacted the world like that of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, here's a statement. In 20 centuries, 
All the parliaments that have ever set, kings that have ever reigned, navies that have ever sailed, armies that have ever marched, have not impacted the world like that one solitary life. Some of you, you're born here in Ethiopia, praise God. You'll live your entire life here in Ethiopia. And we praise God for that. Don't think because you don't go somewhere that you cannot impact the world. Some will be called to go places. Some will be called to be faithful right here. And as you're faithful here to make disciples, those disciples will go make more disciples who make disciples. Jesus impacted the entire world, yet his ministry never left his region. Why? Because 11 disciples were faithful to go make more disciples, who made more disciples, who made more disciples, and it spread that when we get to the book of Acts, there's a gospel witness in every area of Asia Minor. Now, Jesus' strategy to make disciples is the strategy. No other plan that humans can come up with can outrun Jesus' plan. This is the strategy. This is the plan that he's called us to. Follower and learner. We follow Jesus. We learn from Jesus. We want to become more like Christ. That's a big point of discipleship. Now, you need somebody to encourage you in that, but you're not trying to become like that person. As I sat with soup, I wasn't trying to become like soup. I was trying to become like Jesus. And I saw Jesus in him. And I wanted to be like the Jesus that I saw in him. And that's what you want to say to people. I'm not perfect. But Christ is living and working in me. You can be like the Christ that's working in me. Follow Jesus. Learn from him. And, and the final thing it says here, and I'll be careful with this, it's reproducer of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you have the ability to go reproduce Christ or anything. Don't misunderstand it. What it means is that as you invest in people, through the Holy Spirit, Christ is deposited into another person's life. And he is reproduced in their life. And they go and do that for another person and for another person and for another person. Spiritual reproduction is how God works. It's a bit like physical reproduction. Why doesn't a person physically reproduce? Well, first, there's no, if there's no union between man and woman, if there's no marriage, there will not be physical reproduction. Same with spiritual reproduction. If there is not union between Jesus Christ and a follower of Christ, if a person's not born again, they're not going to reproduce. We're not going to see Christ-likeness birthed from that person. Second reason a person won't reproduce, and I want to be, I pray I'm sensitive with how I say this and it's not misunderstood. Because some of you, I know, I've heard your stories, you struggle with infertility. But people may not reproduce because of some medical reason. There's something wrong with their body that wouldn't allow that. It's not something they've done or anything. It's just sometimes that happens. Some of you, that's your story. So a person won't reproduce physically when that happens. Just like a person will not reproduce spiritually when they're distracted. When they're distracted with all these other things. A person won't um, reproduce spiritually when they are in sin, when they're rebelling from God, when they're disqualified because they're not living in the Lord. No, if we're going to reproduce spiritually, we walk with the Lord, we draw near to Him, and He's the one who does the work in and through us. Third reason people don't reproduce is they're just too young. I have a seven-year-old. 
He's not going to give me a grandchild next year. That's not happening. And sometimes people are young in their faith. Maybe they're not to a place where they can help another person grow very far. But you see, I believe one of the main reasons that we don't ever reproduce spiritually, that we don't ever help the body of Christ grow and make disciples, I think there's two primary reasons. One is that we don't know. Only 2% of the body in the West knows that we are called to make disciples, that this is our calling, this is what we're to do, this is what Jesus wants us to do. Uh, The enemy loves to get us distracted from that. Now I pray no one walks out of here going, what is the mission that Christ has called me to? Your mission is to make disciples. So people don't do it because they don't know to. And the second reason is apathy and distraction. It's too much else going on. Too busy. Life's happening. But see, Jesus built into making disciples that life happens. Look look at the next thing. When are we to do this? The word go, one of those verbs, it's better translated as you are going. So get this. As you are going, what do you do? Make disciples. As you go through life, you make disciples. You don't have to set aside a special time to make disciples. It's as you journey, as you live life, as you're at home with your family, as you're at work, wherever you go, that is your mission. You're making disciples as you journey. Next question, where are we to do this? That's a pretty simple one. It's very direct. Scripture says all nations. We're to have a heart for all the nations of the earth. We have a unique privilege here at IEC. We have a unique privilege that in my experience, I've seen no other church have. And it's glorious and it's beautiful. We have the nations gathered here. We have some of you, you've been at this church 30, 40 years. Praise God. I praise God for that. That's the strength that God uses to keep this church stable and on mission. Some of you just got here in July. You're going to be here two years. And then you'll go somewhere else. But if you catch a vision for making disciples, as you go, wherever you go, you'll make disciples. You see, once a disciple is built, it doesn't matter where they live, they'll begin to be faithful right where they are. So I celebrate when people leave IEC, when they go to wherever God calls them to next. Why? Because if they've got the DNA of making disciples in them, then they're going to go and they're going to be faithful right there. Because someone who really owns and understands discipleship can do nothing else. Nothing else will bring satisfaction to their life. Nothing else will bring joy to their life the way that making disciples will. So wherever they go, they'll do that. So some of you that have been here your whole life, you may never leave. I praise God for that. You can impact the entire world by being faithful right here. Where are we to make disciples? All nations. Where are we to make disciples? On our street. Where are we to make disciples? In our home. Where are we to make disciples? In our place of work. You just look around as you go through life and be faithful there to make disciples. Next thing is how do we make disciples? Fifth question, how are we to do this? Well, it's answered here. 
And the other two verbs we haven't touched, baptizing and teaching. This is what Jesus tells him. Here's how you go make disciples uh, to his followers. Baptize and teach. What is baptism? Baptism is what we believe at IEC. Happens after salvation. Once you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're baptized to give a picture. I've died to the old self. Christ lives in me. I'm born again. The Spirit's in me. I'm a new creation. I'm raised to life. Baptism's evangelism part of it. So see, how do you make disciples? You share the gospel. You tell people about Jesus. You share that good news, and we see people come to saving faith in Jesus. And when we do, we have the joy of baptizing them. Two weeks ago, we got to baptize people here. That was my favorite Sunday I've had here at IEC. Watching 19 men and women be baptized and celebrate that they have new life in Christ. Isn't that joyous? It's a beautiful thing. But then he says, and teaching. So you don't, what we often do is we start with baptism, start with conversion, but we don't grow people to maturity. I remember one time somebody said to me, what if we came to church dressed according to our spiritual maturity? He said, well, a lot of adults would be wearing diapers because they're not very far along. I don't say that to be insulting, but I say that to say we are to continue to grow in our faith throughout life. You see, just like a baby, I've had four kids. They came into this world, they couldn't feed themselves, they couldn't wipe their own bottom, they couldn't do anything. My wife and I had to do it all for them. I have a 15-year-old now. I don't feed him. I don't do those things for him. I don't dress him. He dresses himself. Why? Because he's matured and he's going to continue maturing. As a Christian, we're to continue maturing and growing. And that's what he says, teaching them. Teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Jesus gave more than 300 commands. But praise God, Jesus keeps things simple. He boils down those 300 commands he gave to two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you can focus on those two things for your life, you'll do pretty well. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's what we're called to do. The how of the Great Commission. Now, I defined disciple earlier. I want to define disciple making now. I believe a disciple, a maturing disciple, will be a disciple maker. Okay? Those two go together. A disciple should turn into a disciple maker. They should grow into that. But here's what disciple making, I want to give you a definition. It's truth and life transferred in the context of a real, authentic relationship. It's relational. It doesn't happen apart from relationship. It's got to happen in relationship, but it involves two things. Truth, the truth of this word, God's reality, and the truth of life. How do I live this out? One of the great joys in my life was watching how Soup treated his wife, how he treated his daughter, how he treated his son. 
how he talked to other people, how when a crisis would hit, what he would do. I learned from those things. Truth, but truth with life passed on. That's what discipleship looks like. And here's the thing. We could create at IEC a bunch of programs and call it discipleship. We've got some programs. We want you to get in a small group. All our Bible studies we do, the hope is that you'll get in there and you'll meet people and discipleship will begin to happen. Oh, but discipleship is not meant to be a program. It's not about programs. Discipleship is about people. Discipleship is not about institutions. It's about individuals. Discipleship is not about programs. It's about people. It's not about something. It's about someone. We look at individuals. That's what we want to do. Grow people. Mature people. We can create programs to help with that. But here's uh, one of the things Pastor Mike was saying to us this week in our staff meeting. We have to have a culture of discipleship. A culture where we have a common language, where that's what our church celebrates, where that's what we talk about. We can create programs, but those programs don't mean discipleship is happening. People can go sit, listen, walk out the door, and not connect with another person, not invest in another person, not be thinking who needs to hear the gospel. They can just come and sit and do that week after week after week. Now we need a culture where people are saying, no, this is who we are. This is our mission. And it's joyous and it's glorious and this is what God has called us to do. That's what we want to be about. Dawson Trotman said this, truth isn't just taught, it's caught. You have to catch discipleship. I want to give you quickly eight practical tips on making disciples. This isn't an all-encompassing list. It's very simple. It'll be all behind me, I believe. Um, first one, if you're going to be involved in discipleship, you've got to find the right person to disciple. I'm talking, now I'm talking about after they've grown in Christ. If, a person, if you lead a person to Christ, I believe you have the responsibility to make sure that they continue to grow, whether you do it or whether you find somebody else to do it. We don't need a baby left off without a parent to grow them. So when someone comes to Christ, we want to help them grow. We want to do everything we can. But the first thing is you've got to find the right person. Soup used to say to me, you want to find a fat person. Now that can sound insulting, but that's not what he meant. He meant the acronym. Faithful, available, teachable. If you're going to disciple somebody, they've got to be faithful. If they won't live out their faith, it's not really working. They've got to be available. If you never get time with anybody... Discipleship can't happen, and they've got to be teachable. If they don't want to learn, if they don't want to grow, it's not going to happen. So find the right person. Second, meet them where they are. Very simple. Some people come to faith in Jesus and have never read the Bible. You start them. You walk with them. Some people have been reading the Bible and been in church a long time, but they are not engaged in the mission. They come and sit each week. I know in a room this size, that's where some of you are. I'm not saying this to insult you or to make you feel bad. I'm saying it because I believe it'll free you up. When you live on mission, it's more joyous. So meet a person where they are and help them grow. Third, this is again simple. Spend time. You've got to spend time with someone if discipleship's going to happen. It doesn't just happen at a distance. See, that's the reason you can't leave discipleship up to your pastors. 
Unfortunately, I can't get to know you all and get time with you all like I would like. Just unrealistic. Jesus only had 12. I don't think I can do much better than Jesus, okay? I don't think Pastor Mike or our elders can. That's why we need the whole body engaged in this. Spend time together. Fourth, speak, teach God's truth. I don't want to teach anybody my opinions, my thoughts. What does God's word say? If you disagree with something I say, fine. If you disagree with something God says, that's a different story. So I pray that we're faithful to God's word. Challenge them. One of the things I'm so grateful for in my life is that I was challenged to grow in my faith. I was challenged that it was worth it. I was challenged that the Christian life is not some boring, dull, come and sit and hear the gospel, or here's a sermon every week. No, you go live it out. It's a thrilling thing. It's an adventure. It's amazing. Introduce them to other Christians. You're not the end-all, be-all. I don't have it all figured out. You come and hang out with me and you're going to see that I have some quirks and I have some things that I'm still struggling in that God still needs to grow me in. All of us have that. That's why I say, hey, talk to so-and-so. They'll help you with this. They're better at it than I am. Seventh, involve them in a local church. There's a lie the enemy is spreading. I've heard it and I've seen it, especially in the West. You can be a Christian and you don't need the church. The church is full of hypocrites and sinful people and you don't need the church. That is a lie. The church is full of sinners. But here's what we know. We know we're sinners and we know we need a Savior. That's who we are. We know we desperately need a Savior. But you can't be who God has called you to be without being in the church. You desperately need a church. Don't expect the church to be perfect. I say this over and over again. We are not a perfect church here at IEC. We never will be because we don't have perfect people. Okay, so we're not perfect. But you know what? We serve a perfect Savior. We know where to point people to. We know where to show people. So get a disciple involved in the local church. Eight, continually grow and practice. Discipleship is scary. I still get scared when someone comes and says, hey, will you, would you be willing to meet with me and talk with me and invest in me? I go, I don't know if I have what you want. I don't know if I'm really going to be good at this. I still get nervous every time. But do you know what Jesus said? He has all authority as you do this. Do you know what he said? He'll be with you as you do this. So it's not about you. You're scared, great. You're nervous, great. Jesus is going to do it in and through you. He's going to be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So I just look and say, hey, I don't know, but Jesus does. I want to point you to Jesus. I want to keep pointing you to Jesus. So we make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Discipleship, there's discipleship moments that happen. One of the things Mike said is we need to remember stories within our church of how this happens. Just this week I saw on Facebook, a young couple that's getting married soon. They were meeting with an older couple that's been married 20 years. That's discipleship. Praise God. Saying, hey, let me show you how to tell me about marriage and tell you what it's like. Praise God. A mom with a couple young toddlers and she's stressed out of her mind. And she sits down with another older woman who says, listen, I've been there. I've been in your shoes. You redeem that time when you're up with that kid and they're crying in the night, you pray. 
You meditate on Scripture. That's discipleship. When a dad is walking with his son and he sees a woman dressed inappropriately, and he looks and says, Son, that's not real beauty. Real beauty is found on the inside. Real beauty is found in Christ. Don't fall for the traps this world gives you, son. That's discipleship. When an older man notices a young man throwing his life into a job so much that all he does is work, 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 and he says, you've got to take time for your family. Don't forget your family. Don't forget your responsibility at home. That's discipleship. When volunteers serve here together at the church together, and they get to know one another, and someone says, hey, I'm struggling, and I've gotten to know you. Will you pray for me? That's a discipleship moment. When a young woman's preparing to be baptized, and another woman takes her and says, hey, I'm going to walk with you as you prepare for baptism. Here, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to buy you a Bible, and it's going to help you grow in your faith, and I'm going to show you how to use it. That's discipleship. Those are discipleship moments. You see, we want to turn it into something too complex when it's often very simple. Be faithful right where God has you. Final thing is why. Why do we do this? this is the easiest one. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, when He says, here's my command to you. Here's what you do with your life. Go make disciples. And you say, nah, I'm too busy. You're not living like He's Lord. If you're not making disciples, if you're not engaged in this, you aren't living like Jesus Christ is Lord because He said, this is what I've commissioned you to do. And we say, yes, Lord, I'll go do it. I'll be faithful. We pray at IEC that we'll have a culture of making disciples. One of the greatest joys of any parent is to talk about their children, for a grandparent to talk about their grandchildren. And can you imagine we get to heaven, we get to talk about our spiritual children? God, use me in their life. Spiritual grandchildren, I invested in that person and they invested in those people. God, use me to impact them and they impacted others. That's going to be one of the greatest joys we will taste in heaven. Seeing how God has used our life to impact others. And it's not about us, it's about how glorious and magnificent He is. I'll tell you one of the things I, I love. I love getting to come each week and preach. I believe in preaching. I believe God uses it. I believe the gathered body is commanded that we're called to do that. But sometimes we'll rely on that a little too much. I've got a bunch of bottles here. I don't know if you can see them. They're different shapes. They're different brands. They're different bottles. But if I said to you, hey, I want to fill up this bottle. This bottle's empty. I want to fill it up. And here's my strategy. I've got a bucket filled with water. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw the water on the bucket, on the bottles. Do you think that's a very good strategy? Do you think I'm going to fill those bottles if I just go, hey, I'm going I'm to fill this with water and each week I'm going to throw water, throw water, throw water until those bottles are full. How long is it going to take to get those bottles full? But if I take one, I get up close and personal with it. I go slowly and I pour the water into the bottle. It'll fill up. 
You see, in the church, we often just say, come on Sundays, hear the sermon preached, and go away, and that's enough. Hey, I believe in preaching. I believe it's effective. I believe God uses it. But I don't believe it's all there is. You need someone who will do this with you, who will take time with you, who you can look at. See, most of you, you don't get to see what I go and do throughout the week. You don't get to see how I talk to my children, how I talk to my wife, how I handle all those areas of my life. You, you, you can't possibly say that. We need one another. You need someone that gets up and close and personal with you, and you need to do that with someone else. This is what God has called us to. And this, the enemy distracting us from making disciples, is why the church around the world can grow large, but it doesn't grow strong. No, to have a strong church, we've got to be faithful to make disciples. So church, that's my call to you. May we be a faithful church to fulfill our mission. May we struggle, may we fall down and get up and do it again. When we get distracted, do it again. Keep going until Jesus Christ returns or calls us home. Let me pray for us. God, your word is good and it is gracious. It is true. We can rely on it. We can depend on it. And Lord, you are so good. You did not leave us without a strategy. In fact, when you told the disciples to go make disciples, they didn't ask any questions. There's no Q&A. Why? Because they knew they had been discipled. So they knew just to do the same thing. Lord, may we be a church filled with disciples who make disciples. May we continually invest in others, helping them grow to strength and maturity. May we be a church that shares the gospel with a hurting, lost world. May we realize that where you've placed us, in our homes and in our neighborhoods, with the gifts and the abilities, that was no accident. We're in a unique place where you want us to be faithful right where we are. Lord, don't let us think because I'm not the most elegant speaker or I don't know everything, I don't have it all figured out that we can't make disciples. You call us to engage. And Lord, as we do, we mature, we grow. As we do, we find a joy in living. We find a joy in being a part of this mission. So help us to live that out. Lord, if there's any here today that are not saved, I pray that the gospel would go forth and that they would trust in Christ. And for those sitting here today saying, I haven't been about making disciples. I've missed out. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to taste the joy of experiencing this. May they say, God, here I am, send me. They don't know what to do. Maybe they just start to pray. God, show me who to invest in. Show me to encourage. Show me who to build up. And may you grow us as a church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.